0: Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. Perchance you have seen or heard word concerning these live-ins taking place at some factories here in the United States of America, and likely... Elsewhere in the free world and in the world at large, Brascom America is a company that produces materials that are used in so-called PPE, personal protective equipment, face masks, surgical gowns, and so forth. They have a facility, a petrochemical plant in Marcus Hook, Pennsylvania, in the extreme southeastern portion of Pennsylvania, just off of the Delaware River. And for 28 days, a group of 43 men did not leave there. They were all volunteers in the sense of volunteering for special duty. And they worked in 12-hour shifts every day So the plant continued running continuously, 24 hours a day for this month, produced tens of millions of pounds of the raw materials used in these particular applications. But this is only one of the facilities For instance, there is a second live in taking place currently in Neal, West Virginia. Again, this company produces polypropylene, which is needed to make this various equipment used in these medical and hygienic applications. This is only one example, one small sampling of what is taking place in this nation and around the world in order to address this challenging health crisis. I've mentioned before about the two strains of. Coronavirus, coronavirus, COVID 19, which becomes COVID 19, which were identified early on. The first strain was supposed to be the more deadly, the more virulent. But now, via study research at various facilities, Particularly, Los Alamos National Laboratory here in the United States of America. It has been determined that there are 14 strains or additional strains, whichever it is, and that there is one in particular that is becoming the dominant. Strain, the 800 pound gorilla, if you will. So the coronavirus has mutated and mutated. And this particular strain is seen as being more contagious, more infectious. More transmissible than the others, and it is taking over. Of all things, it is forcing out the weaker strains. It is taking over. It was first recognized in Europe, but then it came to the United States of America, and it has been the dominant strain around the world since the middle of March. Again, according to research from Los Alamos National Laboratory, a 33-page report was posted last week, last Thursday, on BioRxiv, which is a website researchers use to share their work before... It is peer-reviewed. And the purpose of this, the reason for sharing it this way before it is peer-reviewed is to fast-track it, if you will, to speed up collaborations between scientists, between scientific groups who are working on developing vaccines and or treatments for COVID-19. But up until now, those attempts to develop vaccines and treatments, again, have been focused on the initial two strains that were identified, that were recognized. So this is very challenging. There's an urgent need for an early warning, say the report's authors so that vaccines and drugs that are currently under development throughout the world will be able to be effective against this new dominant strain of coronavirus. And wherever this strain has appeared, it has infected far more people than the previous strains. So, not happy news. But, meanwhile, the Federal Drug Administration, it has approved a new drug. No, this is not pertaining to coronavirus. No. No, this happened, oh, Three weeks ago or whatever, the federal government's Food and Drug Administration, emphasis on drug administration, it approved a drug which is Tukesa or Tukaisa, and it is also known by the name Tukatineb or something to that effect. This drug is for metastasized breast cancer. And it is supposed to have been made available virtually immediately following having been approved by the Food and Drug Administration. Metastasized cancer. Metastasis of any type of cancer, not limited to breast cancer, but any kind of cancer, means the spread of the disease to other organs, or to organs. It is particularly problematic, shall we say, deadly, and so thankfully, There is a new drug now in the arsenal to attempt to eliminate this type of cancer. With metastasis, one thing that commonly happens is that in addition to invading this organ and that organ, that it will eventually make its way to the brain, where it is extremely difficult to treat. Once upon a time long ago, I happened to initiate a national public service campaign to communicate the truth of the abortion-breast-cancer link. Now, when I say abortion, I'm referring to induced abortion also known as elective abortion. Not to be confused with miscarriage, which is an entirely different matter and is a biological process that does not predispose a woman to suffer heightened incidence of disease. It does not. But induced abortion, elective abortion, does. And despite a plethora of studies proving this link between induced abortion, a.k.a. elective abortion, and increased propensity to contract breast cancer, Lo and behold, there was a massive effort to shut me down, to shut down my advertisements in Washington, D.C., in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, in and around New Haven, Connecticut, throughout the South, all across the South, as I used a variety of different types of outdoor advertising to attempt to communicate this desperately needed information. Fascinatingly enough, those opposed so virulently to me, they consisted not only of all of the known abortion activist organizations, Planned Parenthood, the largest aborter of babies worldwide, but, of course, treated as a charitable organization here in the United States of America, which was founded by that saintly Margaret Sanger, who was, among other things, a racist, a fascist, a neo-Nazi, horrendously, personally, sexually immoral, but more than that, absolutely hell-bent on achieving this wonderful objective of making induced abortion rampant. She manipulated. You could say seduced, but I don't mean sexually, per se. But seduced, she targeted and seduced black ministers, black Christian ministers, to win them over and to use them to influence the members of their congregations, of their flocks. Turned them into unwitting wolves, if you will. But Planned Parenthood NARAL, the so-called National Abortion Rights Action League. The so-called National Women's Health Network. And Ad Nauseam, these organizations dedicated to promoting induced abortion. Not only to winning legalization of it, but continuing on thereafter. Now, the so-called National Organization of Women, and so forth. But in addition to all of these groups, interestingly enough, there were the so called breast cancer awareness organizations, notably the Susan G. Komen Foundation, which over the years has raked in vast fortunes and which has heavily supported Planned Parenthood. The federal government got involved, issuing breast cancer awareness stamps and charging above and beyond the cost of postage for those stamps and passing those funds on to worthy organizations like dear old Susan G. Komen Foundation and so forth. They all absolutely virulently attacked my loving, life-sparing public service campaigns. And they strong-armed various governmental entities into shutting down my campaign. So I was involved in a lawsuit for three years which in which there was a pyrrhic victory, meaning, yes, it was shown that the campaign was shut down unconstitutionally, but there were no funds provided to me to make up for the damage done, the destruction of advertising materials and so on and so forth. But, with regard to that campaign, I was communicating the fact that there was this absolute proven link between induced abortion, elective abortion, and incidence of breast cancer. That furthermore, that there was an even heightened risk associated when the induced abortion, elective abortion, pertained to the first pregnancy, the first baby. And even more so if it was additional abortions, additional babies. And that abortion, induced abortion, short circuits the body's biology the body's chemistry, the woman's physical development throughout pregnancy. But I also emphasized that the breast cancer that was associated in many cases with induced abortion, if not in all, resulted in a more virulent strain of breast cancer, an earlier onset strain of breast cancer or strains of breast cancer that was resulting in women, even in their 20s, contracting breast cancer. All of these coordinated organizations these abortion activist organizations and all of their supporters, they absolutely denied that, refuted that without evidence, but just shouted it down with the assistance of other seemingly benevolent, beneficent organizations. But... Here we are, all of this time later. When I say all of this time later, I'm talking about 25 years later, a quarter of a century later. It's routinely stated that this type of breast cancer or that type of breast cancer is more aggressive, more virulent, But when I stated that a quarter of a century ago, that induced abortion was directly linked with more aggressive, more virulent, earlier onset strains of breast cancer, I was damned for it by the major media, the major media elite. I remember one interview in particular with CNN And it was a long, drawn-out interview that lasted an hour. And what did they take out of that interview? Well, you know how they work. You know, they took 15 seconds or 10 seconds out of it to try to make me look the worst that they could. Just wonderful, honest journalism, always seeking the truth. But there is the Cancer Society, American Cancer Society, and so on and so forth that were directly involved as well, yes, (laughs) in opposing me and denying the truth. Susan G. Komen Foundation was heavily involved in that, as were others of that type, of the breast cancer awareness organizations, who have raked in fortunes since then. (laughs) But here the FDA has approved this new drug to treat especially aggressive breast cancer. But again, it was stated by these women who were champions of women that there was no such thing as a more aggressive, virulent strain of breast cancer. There was no such thing as earlier onset strain of breast cancer. Anything of the kind. Oh well. You know, one thing that was used against me was stating, well, he's not a scientist. He's not a man of medicine. He's not any of this. But fascinatingly enough, if some Hollywood celebrity or some athlete or some congresswoman or congressman, some senator... A president, a vice president, a governor, a political candidate, or a newsman, a newswoman, a TV anchor, a TV reporter, a newspaper reporter, if they state such and such, that's not a problem. They don't have to be the scientist to be communicating what they claim is scientific truth. But these incredibly intellectually honest women of these organizations, (laughs) they made a huge stink about that, about me not being a scientist. Oh well. People will believe what they want to believe. People believe what they want to believe. And a great many people choose not to believe the truth. The truth about so many things, including the truth about God. The truth that there is God, that there is Jesus Christ, that Christianity is true religion, as compared to all of the false religions that corrupt this earth. But once upon a time not that long ago, there were some murders committed, it would seem, by a Robert Durst, a real estate scion from New York but who is on trial in a Los Angeles murder case for this murder that was only 20 years ago, not a quarter of a century ago, but only 20 years ago. The murder of his longtime confidant, Susan Berman. Now, The prosecutors state that Robert Durst murdered his longtime confidant, Susan Berman, to prevent her from testifying against him regarding incriminating information in the murder of his first wife, Kathleen all the way back in 1982 her body was never found but dear robert durst 77 years of age his legal team his legal team which has as so many have so many so many lawyers have prostituted themselves to pervert justice and to serve the wicked, to serve the evil. They have demanded that there be a mistrial declared in this case. Why is that? Well, they claim that delays in court proceedings caused by the coronavirus, COVID-19 pandemic, will make it impossible for this fine man to receive a fair trial. Before I continue, let me just say this. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. And whatever is right and true and good in these programs is thanks to God Almighty and His Holy Son, Jesus Christ. Whatever is lacking, erring, deficient, that is on me. That is due to me. That is my fault. But this matter of the place of defense lawyers, defense teams, if we go all the way back, to the Bible. When I say all the way back to the Bible, I'm not just talking about two millennia ago, back when Christ walked on the earth. I'm talking about going back before that. Talking about the Jewish law, the Hebrew law, which Jesus preached and taught (laughs) while he walked. But There was no such thing as lawyers the way we have them today. There were doctors of the law, and the law was God's law. And the government was supposed to be a theocracy. But the ever so wise and wonderful people, the Hebrew people, the chosen people, they chose to imitate and follow the peoples of the world, the heathen peoples of the world, the pagan peoples of the world, and to demand a king and monarchy and all of that wonderful, wonderful improvement upon God's plans. And all of this time later, of course, we've had our judicial systems developed here in these comparatively recent centuries. And the practice of law is something completely, utterly, totally removed from God's law. And there's this creation of defense lawyers. And somewhere along the line, the function became distorted, twisted, perverted into not merely representing or speaking on the behalf of the defendants, but to twist and rend and manipulate and pervert the laws, and the legal system. And to get as many guilty parties off, keep them from being convicted, and or keep them from being sent to prison, and or manage to get their charges pled down, significantly. Have them released ahead of time for good behavior, meaning they hadn't committed more murders and rapes while in prison, or at least were not convicted of such, and so forth. So here we are today, and we have a very strange situation is that instead of lawyers being viewed by the vast majority of people in a very favorable light, that is not the case. And it's a direct result of this. Speaking about man's law, oh, gun control, we need gun control. Whatever that is. Well, what that is is gun registration, gun ownership denial, gun confiscation. These are things we need. Former champions of such things as Adolf Hitler, Joseph Stalin, Mao Zedong, and so forth will attest to that. We need this. Why do we need loathsome firearms? Well, in the great city of Detroit, Michigan, response times for 911 calls way back before the pandemic, way back before the streets were empty and cities looked more like ghost towns than what they had looked like before. Before that, before any of that, response times for 911 calls extended to nearly an hour. If you can imagine that. And fewer than 9% of crimes were ever solved. In Detroit, Michigan, one of the major cities in this nation, you might think, well, with all of the terrible times for the auto industry and so forth, that surely Detroit, it's not up there that high. Well, I have news for you. Detroit, Michigan is still the number 11 major media market in the United States of America. And in that great city, fewer than 9%, less than 9% of crimes are ever solved. How does that make you feel? How secure does that make you feel? Response times to 911 calls extend to nearly an hour. Oh, but we don't need firearms. Heavens no. Detroit, Michigan. You know, where there is a certain woman governor who is one of the favored contenders to be the running mate with Democrat presumptive nominee Joe Biden. I've mentioned before about horror movies. I've also referred to one author One notable author, Stephen King, who is known first and foremost for the horror genre in his novels, so many of which have been made into movies. But he has written other genres as well. He is not limited to the genre of horror. And he is a talented author and an incredibly, incredibly, Successful one. But horror, the genre of horror in movies, in movies, and probably in novels, but it certainly has been for Stephen King, but in movies, it is the number one most profitable genre there is. Number one, horror. There is a huge audience, or as the president would say, a huge audience that flock to theaters, you know, when there are not pandemic controls in place, flock to theaters to see any new horror movie that arrives. Horror also has had an enormous success in creating franchises, that is, sequels. So what? Well, just this. It has a direct effect, a direct impact on vicious, ruthless, sadistic, monstrous, violent crime. But, I remember one case some years ago, I don't know how many years ago now, but, I believe it was two girls, it may have been one, murdered another girl. This was in Spain. That's right, not the United States of America, but Spain, and they were imitating a crime committed in one of Stephen King's novels. How often have you heard the term used or the figure of speech used in various TV shows, TV series, what have you, about copycat crimes, copycat murders. It's rather common. Well, interestingly enough, the federal government, the big bad federal government, interestingly enough, the Justice Department, Has chosen to side with, that is on behalf of, a Virginia church that has gone to court concerning Virginia Governor Ralph Northam's executive orders restricting in person gatherings during this coronavirus pandemic, federal prosecutors, not defense attorneys, prosecutors, they submitted a statement of interest in support of Lighthouse Fellowship Church in, and I can't pronounce it, Chincoteague Island, Virginia. a Native American Indian name, I do believe. The church filed a lawsuit in federal district court after its pastor received a citation and summons, summons, for holding a 16-person service in early April. Now, I mentioned before about Kentucky, Kentucky, and where there were these Easter services and state troopers put notices on the cars underneath the windshield wipers of all of the cars in the church parking lot. And then the governor of Kentucky, he stated, well, no one is going to be arrested. No one is going to be such and such. Well, here this pastor received a citation and a summons for holding this service in early April. A 16-person service. Well, this particular church, Christian church, The defense team for them, if you will, even though they are, in this case, you would think not in the position of defendant, but nonetheless, they ordered, they were ordered by Northam not to hold services, right? Restricted from holding services. This in the interest of public safety. True. Well, the team representing this church, they've argued that Governor Northam, he violated the First Amendment in improperly restricting religious gatherings at houses of worship while at the same time permitting comparable secular gatherings to continue, to go on. And this from the Justice Department. Quote, The United States believes that the church has set forth a strong case that the orders by exempting other activities permitting similar opportunities for in-person gatherings of more than 10 individuals, while at the same time prohibiting churches from gathering in groups of more than 10, even with social distancing measures and other precautions, has impermissibly interfered with the church's free exercise of religion. Furthermore, and that was a direct quote, Quote, unless the Commonwealth can prove that its disparate treatment of religious gatherings is justified by a compelling reason and is pursued through the least restrictive means, this disparate treatment violates the free exercise clause and the orders may not be enforced against the church, end quote. Fascinating. Again, Department of Justice going to bat for this church. Furthermore, last month, the Justice Department filed a statement of interest like this in support of a church in Greenville, Mississippi. That church sued the town over its stay-at-home order. Again, as I've referenced before, while I was appalled at the refusal of the World Health Organization and the President of the United States of America and others to declare this pandemic a pandemic, My interest was that people be apprised of the threat, of the danger, and be able to take the action that they saw fit to take. It was not to initiate police state quasi-martial law in this nation or any free nation. And yet, that is what has taken place, of course, in the public interest. You know, just like the mantra that we heard over and over and over and over again, national security, right? Well, here it's public safety. Speaking of public safety, a darling 12-year-old girl was found safe. Susanna Morrison, who went missing from her home in Putnam County, last seen there at midnight. This was backaways. This is not hot off the press. I just haven't been able to work it in <laughs> until now. But this was made to be known two weeks ago that this girl was found safe. When they say found safe, I don't know what that means. I haven't seen any further details with regard to it. Perhaps they mean that she wasn't murdered, that that constitutes being found safe. I fear that their definition of safety is somewhat liberal, or overly generous. But this dear girl, Susanna Morrison, though she was found safe, I recommend you pray for this dear girl. Believe in Jacksonville, Florida, but some Jacksonville. (laughs) Meanwhile, a very, very sad story linked to this matter of the coronavirus, COVID-19 pandemic. I'm sure you've seen about it, heard about it, but I felt the need to address it and also desired to address it. This woman, this doctor, New York City doctor, 49 years of age, Dr. Lorna Breen, she was the medical director of the emergency department at New York Presbyterian's Allen Hospital in Upper Manhattan until she took her own life. She was visiting her family, her immediate family, in Charlottesville, Virginia, Prior to that, she had been infected with the coronavirus, but had recovered. She told her father that she was dealing with an onslaught of patients, just absolutely being inundated with patients, some of whom were even dying before they could get into the hospital. Her father, following her death, he said that she tried to do her job and it killed her. I would not concur with him about her job killing her or her trying to do her job killing her, but more on that in a moment. The hospital system, the aforementioned New York Presbyterian Allen Hospital, It issued a statement. It praised Dr. Breen, good. But it praised her as a hero, still good. But let us not imagine that that pertains to the matter of suicide. It does not. As terrible, as tragic as this is, and it is, and she's a lovely woman, an extremely intelligent, accomplished woman and working selflessly during this pandemic crisis. But she took her own life. Suicide Call it what you will, but it is an irrational action. It is the opposite of heroic, and it is irrational. Her taking her life, what were the alternatives? She could have resigned her position. True. She could have taken a leave of absence, could have taken medical leave of absence or could have resigned altogether, quit, walked away from it. Instead, she kills herself. How is that a superior alternative? If she resigned, if she took a leave of absence, if she took medical leave, she would have an intermission, if you will, from treating patients. Here, she sees to it that she will never be able to help anyone again, never be able to treat anyone again. If she had quit outright, not just taken a leave of absence, but quit or resigned, if you prefer, while she would not have been involved in treating patients for COVID-19, she could have set up a private practice in Charlottesville, Virginia, for instance, or some such thing. This woman was given so much in terms of intelligence and discipline and beauty. She's only 49 years of age, and a very highly accomplished woman, a very highly accomplished doctor. Precious to her family, but she took her own life. I hate the way that suicide has been made out to be a heroic choice, a heroic out. A rational course of action. It's the exact diametric opposite of rational. The only circumstances in which I can imagine a person taking their life rationally are one, if they are suffering intractable, excruciating, agonizing pain that cannot be treated, cannot be reduced, and they are dying from it. Not merely suffering, they are dying from disease. The only other instance would be if someone were on the verge of being taken captive by destroyers who were going to monstrously torture them to death. But if such a person had an implement with which to commit suicide, such as a knife, it would make a whole lot more sense to use that to their best ability on those trying to take them captive. But this dear woman is gone. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now if we choose to. Thank you.